there. It's Scary Parish. It's Tuesday, November 3rd, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and today we're continuing our series of previews of the top seven conferences in college basketball. We have already done the ACC, Big Ten, Big 12. So today we are turning our attention to the Pac-12. So listen, when we submitted our ballots for the predicted order of finish in the Pac-12, there were five of us voting at CBS Sports. And three different schools got first place votes. I voted Oregon first. Jerry Palm and David Cobb did the same. But Norlander voted Arizona State first. And Kyle Boone, he went with UCLA, which is, of course, led by second-year coach Mick Cronin, a man who is already widely recognized as the greatest coach in UCLA history. So let me ask you this, Norlander. Yeah. Uh, is the Pac-12 the most up-in-the-air at the top power conference in the country? Yes. We just did the Big 12 on Monday, and I think – that's the close number two in this, the closest number two. But to me, the Pac-12 is the most undecided. Hey, here on Election Day, the most undecided heading into heading into the start of the season. Yeah, that, that would be my pick there. Um, like I said, I voted Oregon first. Jerry Palm, David Cobb did the same. Norlander had Arizona State first. Cal Boom went with UCLA. Um, let's talk about the Ducks. Uh, why are you skeptical of Dana Altman's ability to lead the Ducks to a league title, even though he's done it three of the past five seasons? I'm skeptical of the Ducks because I, as I do with all the power conferences and plenty of the mid-major conferences, just take informal temperature checks on, you know, three, four, five, six coaches in each league. And Oregon's all over the place uh, from, a, from a don't attribute to this, to me, thought po- process with coaches in the, in the Pac-12 some think as high as one, some think as low as five. Um, there's a lot there, and there's a lot that's unknown. Uh, who's the best player on this roster? Chris Duarte, probably? Yeah, former National Junior College Player of the Year, sneaky All-America candidate, I think. He averaged 12.9 points, 5.6 rebounds, 1.6 assists in 30 minutes a game last season. Now Peyton Pritchard's gone. That's 15 shots per game somebody has to take. Why not give it to a former JUCO Player of the Year, Chris Duarte, possible Pac-12 Player of the Year, possible All-American? I would put Duarte... Like seventh or eighth on my list of most likely Pac-12 players of the year. You mentioned Peyton Pritchard. What? Yeah, that's right. You heard me. You, that's disrespectful. Well, I don't. I'm just to, gonna. I'm that's coming disrespectful the to the former Duke. Do you? How many former Duke College player of the year do you think are in college basketball right now? There's got to be another one, right? Those guys know. always transfer up, so I figure one's still hanging around. I can't tell you who it is right off the top of my head, but I figure there's got to be someone out there, right? I don't know. There you I go. Mean, I, okay, I, I, you're lucky that wasn't a trivia time because you're about <laughs> to ask me a question you know the answer to. I do. Uh, I I do assume that like who who was the JUCO player of the year last year? Oh no, was it the guy that was going to Louisville and then decided not to go? Can't remember. Chris Duarte might really be the only former junior college national player of the year and at the playing at the Division One level right now. And you don't think you have him seventh or eighth for play, Pac-12 Player of the Year it's candidacy? Possible. That's disrespectful. No, Peyton Pritchard's going to hurt Oregon big time. He was Peyton Pritchard to me was definitively the best player in the Pac-12 last season. He's gone. Without him, I think Oregon's whole look on offense changes. I still put him two because of Altman, and I was basically splitting hairs. I had ASU one, Oregon two, UCLA three, and then I think you got you can go to a tier two after that. I think those top three 
are in a in a class to themselves there. So you've got Oregon. So go ahead. You explain it to me. You got the Ducks one. You're disrespecting Mick Cronin, by the way, with this. I don't know how you even sleep at night. You're I, I don't sleep at night. Exactly. So I don't I don't sleep at night. Some of it is, is a this sleeping because disorder. you look so much like Mick Cronin and wish you were actually coaching UCLA, but you don't. I would love to coach UCLA and live in Westwood. Yeah, you would. I'd like I, I, I mean, I, as long as I could take my wife and kids with me, I would trade with Mick Cronin right now. I don't even know if that would have to be in condition for you. <laughs> Give me, catch me on the wrong day. I might, I might be willing to go without him. But like right now, everything's good. So I'd like to take him with me. Listen, um, Oregon, I, I, Pete, losing Peyton Pritchard is massive. He's a consensus first team All American, but they do have the former national junior college player. You got to give me more than this at the top yeah. of the roster. And keep an eye on this because this surprised me just because I haven't followed it closely, I don't guess. LJ Figueroa still doesn't have a transfer waiver. A- at the moment we are speaking, he's still, we are in the month of the college basketball starts in a few weeks this month and LJ Figueroa still doesn't at least it's not publicly known that he has his waiver to play immediately at Oregon he is the former St. John star who transferred during the pandemic he averaged 14 and a half points last season um, for the Red Storm didn't shoot it nearly as well shot 37.9 percent as a sophomore after shooting 51.3% as a freshman. So something happened there, probably just shot selection stuff, but um, I, I'm, I'm assuming and have always assumed he will be eligible and on that roster. Cause how can you give waivers to everybody else, but not the guy who decided to leave New York when, you know, when, when hospitals were overrun, I mean, to me, that, that was always going to be the easiest waiver ever. Like, uh, why did you transfer Young man, well, because uh, people were dying in emergency rooms all around me. I didn't, I, you know, New York was locked down longer than most places. I needed to get out of there for my health. I, like, how do you say no to that? So I, I'm assuming, I've always assumed he'll be on the team. Um, uh, I'm, I'm still assuming he'll be on the team, but it is interesting at least that um, he doesn't. he doesn't appear to have the waiver yet. Yeah, I expect him to get cleared. And when he does, he's going to make Oregon better. Uh, and Folly Dante is certainly a player to watch. I think he's the most intriguing player on the roster. Uh, center who I think will really grow as the season goes along. And then um, they he, Altman usually finds a way to get like seven reliable guys in the rotation. I expect that to be the case here. Amari Hardy is a UNLV transfer that is going to basically take Pritchard's place and how – how he adapts to that, I think, ultimately determines how good Oregon's going to be. So I tried to split, like, I, I almost picked Oregon third, but I, I, I give Altman the benefit of the doubt there. Um, can I talk about my top team, though, Sun Devils? The Arizona State Sun Devils, Norland. And I should say, like, yeah, Norlander had Oregon, I think, third? No, I had Oregon, too. But it was, it was Oregon. Close. Yeah, I had Oregon, too. But how about trivia time? Okay, trivia time. All right. How many times has Arizona State been picked to finish first in the Pac-12 slash Pac-10 slash Pac-8? One. Zero. I was going to go with zero. Zero, and it probably won't happen this year. I think I'm a bit more bullish than either coaches or media. I don't know how the Pac-12. Every league does their own different combo. Sometimes their preseason poll is just coaches. Sometimes it's media. Sometimes it's coaches and media. Whatever it is going to be from an official standpoint from the Pac-12, I don't think that Arizona State's going to get it. Although it won't stun me if it does because I had two coaches in the league tell me that Arizona State has the most talented roster in the conference. So maybe it will wind up there. How about this, though? 
shouts to Doug Tamaro, the excellent SID out of Arizona State. He said, in the history of the preseason polls, Arizona State's been picked last more times, four, than it has been picked in the top three or two, just twice. Twice as many times ASU has been picked at the bottom of the league as it's been even in the top three. It gives you perspective on what Hurley's been able to do here. Remy Martin is our preseason pack 12 player of the year. It's weird. I have Arizona State atop the league. I don't think Remy Martin's going to be uh, Pac-12 player of the year, but he is going to be a whole hell of a lot of fun. Joshua Christopher, five-star guy coming in. Arizona State is not reliably a better program than Arizona. It is a gar- It is a lock, 100%. I know, Wildcat fans, come and find me. That's fine. but And you know it. ASU, is. this is a rare year where it is a definite that they will be better than their rivals to the South. Um, they lose Romello White because he wanted to live in Mississippi like I do. So... I mean, that's, you know, he averaged 10.9 rebounds last season, but they do bring back a lot of scoring. Remy Martin and Alonzo uh, Verge, yep. uh, that's 34 point, roughly 34 points per game right there. You mentioned Josh Christopher. You know, um, like Doug told you, it, it, historically, Arizona State's more likely to be picked last in the Pac-12 than top two in the Pac-12. But in the past two seasons, Bobby Hurley has finished second and third in the Pac-12 he has a team clearly good enough to do that again. He could be on a run here where Arizona State finishes in the top three of the Pac-12 three consecutive years, and that is not a normal thing for Arizona State basketball. Um, Bobby will, I'm assuming, forever be known more as an All-American, incredibly col- uh, accomplished college basketball player at Duke than he is a college basketball coach, but he is a really good, undeniably good college basketball, re- great college basketball coach. I asked Bobby on a media Zoom availability about almost a month ago. I said, if you really step back, this is your – you have not been attached to a team heading into a season with higher expectations since you played for Mike Krzyzewski. Like, you never played for an elite-level NBA team that was a, you know, a top five, top six, six team in, in the NBA when he was on those rosters. And since he's coached, he's just never been – he's never been guiding a team uh, like this one. And uh, he admitted he hadn't really ever really thought about it in those terms. But his level of expectation for this group is sky high. And also, I will give Hurley credit for this. Um, if you really go back and look, since he got to Arizona State, how he has not scheduled – with any sort of fear, regularly putting himself in a position where he's playing two or three road games in the non-conference. He's going to play up at Mohegan. The The matchups haven't been determined yet, but I would think that it will be Baylor-Villanova to start, because why would you not put Baylor and Villanova as the first game on the opening night of the season? And then that would mean that he will play, what, Boston College? And then if he wins that, or no matter what, he'll play either Baylor Villanova in that second game at Mohegan and we'll get an early sense right away like I think it's a great thing for college basketball granted if we can keep those games scheduled and in place as is that you can get a team from out west to come in and play against the likes of Nova Baylor consensus preseason top three teams there so a ton to like with ASU uh, if you'll allow me I'll just quickly emerge into the Cronin talk with UCLA Chris Smith returns I thought he was one of the five most important returnees in college basketball in the offseason uh, spoke to someone connected to him I mean, we're talking like way back in May, GP. And there was a real sense that he was not going to return, that he was going to chase uh, that NBA dream. But I do think this is the better decision for him. I actually think he'll wind up getting drafted higher in 2021 because of the result of coming back. I do think he's a good, he's not even a dark horse to win Pac-12 Player of the Year, but he's UCLA's best player. They've got a lot of talent around him. And Mick Cronin, who rightfully has already established and proven himself to be the best 
coach in the history of this of this school, and I don't want to hear anything. Tyson Tate, by the way, trying to take our Cronin bit. Okay, not having that at all. Okay, no, sand the court. Exactly, sand sand the court. Sand the court. Sand the court. Sand, sand the, the court. court. Yes, it's been, it's been it's been like six months since I heard that, but yeah, sand the court. And <laughs> what, what was the root of that? Some guy tweeted me like, "What what are they yeah, supposed to someone, do?" Yes, yes, someone. What, did. what what are they supposed to do? Sand yes, the court. You're and exactly like, right because we had talked yes. about how you got it. You can keep Nell. Keep Nell. Yeah, Nell can Nell Wooden can remain on the court, but uh, sorry, John's got to go. Because we can we can I think reasonably say Nell Wooden is the best first lady of UCLA basketball in history. I think that's fair. But yes. Nell's husband is not the best coach in UCLA history. Nope. That's clearly Mick Cronin, who in his first year at UCLA won the John Wooden Pac-12 Coach of the Year Award. <laughs> Did it by how, ma- how many John Wooden Coach of the Year Awards did John Wooden have? I don't think any. Trivia time. Yeah. We already Zero. Know the Zero. 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 Mick went and got one in year one, and now he's got a team coming back. Five scores. Top five scores are back. Um, they obviously started poorly last season, 12 and 11, 5 and 5 in the Pac 12, but they went 7 and 1 in their last eight games, 11 and 3 in their final 14 games, finished 19 and 12, 12 and 6. They were in the league. They were projected to make the NCAA tournament. How about this? They were 147th at Ken Palm on January 19th. They finished 78th. Do the math on that. You know how many spots they moved up? Why don't you just tell the people? 69. That's pretty nice. Oh. Uh, so you got Cody Riley, Jalen Hill surrounding Chris Smith. That's a great, great front court. Really, really solid. I actually think it's not, it hasn't been often in recent seasons where UCLA has had a better front court than Oregon, but I think they got a really good shot at, the, at this season. Tiger Campbell's there. By the way, they didn't even get Dacian Nix, who decided right. to take the G. If Dacian Nix is on this roster, I think we are in agreement. Uh, UCLA is the preseason favorite. We would have had UCLA number one because Dacian Nix was the best point guard in that class, but he's not going to go to college. He's going to play a pro route instead. So we do agree UCLA top 25 quality, UCLA top three team in the Pac-12, therefore UCLA contending for a Pac-12 championship. What they did last season, it just, it remains honestly, this is not, uh, no hyperbole, no joking. They were 8-9 and nine and just didn't look good at all, and they turned that into 19-12, and 12, and it's one of the best in-season turnarounds from a power conference team I can ever remember. Like, it was a completely different team once they got to mid-January. Credit to Cronin for that, and he's got the, he's got the program in short order where I think fans were hoping he could take it, and I think it's even fair to say, like, he's a year ahead of schedule at this point. So the top three in the Pac-12 appear to be um, Oregon, Arizona State, and UCLA in some order. Our preseason poll at CBS Sports had Stanford fourth and then USC fifth. And USC is interesting because when I think of USC under Andy Enfield, I think of, you know, like it feels like they're usually good but never great. And I went and looked it up earlier. And the truth is that that is exactly what they are. Usually good, but never great. They've been top six in the Pac-12 in four of the past five seasons, top five in the Pac-12, three of the past four seasons, but never better than 12 and six in the league. Andy Enfield has now been there seven seasons, never finished better than 49th at Kinpa in those seven seasons. But how about this? In four of the past five seasons, finished between 49th and 55th. In four of the past five. So consistently, consistently good, consistently respectable, 
but never great. And then, of course, they lose the top five scores from last season's team. So that's not wonderful. But they do bring back Isaiah Mobley, former five-star prospect. They enroll his brother, Evan Mobley, five-star prospect who's projected top five pick in the 2021 NBA draft. He's awesome. They have four transfers who are eligible, all of whom averaged at least nine points per game at the Division One level already. One of them is Isaiah White, a 6'7 wing. He averaged 15 points per game, 8.5 rebounds at Utah Valley last season. So um, I'm interested. I, listen, I'll watch you see a lot because they have Evan Mobley, uh, and he's great. You know, I, I'm not here to argue class of 2020 recruiting rankings, but there was a time when I'd seen all the guys and I was like, nobody's better than Evan Mobley. I remember Mark Fox, when he was out of coaching briefly between Georgia and Cal, worked one of these camps the way coaches who are out of the sport sometimes do. And he was like, we were in Las Vegas. You were there. We were watching Evan Mobley. And Mark Fox said, that's a future number one pick in the draft. I'm just telling you, I was around him. I worked with him every day. Great, great young man but also like incredible talent. And I don't know that people talk about him as the number one pick anymore because they mostly talk about Kate Cunningham at Oklahoma State as the number one pick, but Evan Mobley is terrific. So you get Evan Mobley, Isaiah Mobley, and then some transfers that are at least older, add some experience. Maybe USC can uh, can compete you know, in the top three or four of the Pac-12, even though we've got them picked fifth. I think their ceiling is fourth and their floor is 10th. Um, just a lot of roster turnover. Let's see how great Mobley is. I still think Mobley could potentially be the number one pick. I think that's still on the table, no doubt about it. Um, can Will Enfield allow him to be a star, and will they build everything around him, and can he thrive, and will USC then... And what's going to be a competitive Pac-12? Like, the Pac-12 last season had six teams projected to make the tournament, a refresh run those, Oregon, UCLA, USC, Arizona State, Arizona, and Colorado. Um, USC was 22-9 and nine and was in that mix, but they lost a lot there. I think the Pac-12 will be a six-bid league again, maybe seven, but probably a six-bid league in a 68-team tournament for 2021. Uh, they'll be there. I like Stanford a lot more. Now, we joked, and we had some fun with Stanford last season. It went 20-12, and 12, but it just it failed against the best teams. It, it played more often than not. It was the best offense, definitely. I, I don't think there was an argument uh, about that in terms of its, its shooting. It, was, it shot 52% from two-point range and 36% from three-point range. Oregon was the only team that was really with and on Stanford's level in the Pac-12 from an offensive production standpoint. They bring back Oscar De Silva, who's a preseason first-teamer in the Pac-12. And then we talk about Evan Mobley and his ability. Zaire Williams is another guy to watch with Stanford. Uh, freshman coming in, I think he was a five-star, top-ten kind of prospect, so he, he's not a dark horse by any means. But since he's at Stanford, I, I just don't know if there's going to be a lot of buzz around him. But I'll say this. like Tyrell Terry, one-and-done guy at Stanford last season in the program, you know, you had uh, who was it? Casey uh, Okpala, who who went after he was a two and through guy. Like they they're starting to get good talent there. It just hasn't quite popped. This could be the pop season. I do like Stanford to be a top four team in the league, and Jared Haas has done a good job there overall. So I, I think they're a strong four for me. I'm not as in on SC relatively speaking um, in terms of like I think they're just a notch below Stanford. And then maybe they're closer to, I've got Colorado 7, or Colorado 6, Utah 7. I think those three are closer, and kind of Stanford might be between the top three and the next two or three. Fun fact on Tyrell Terry. So I get a text message from old one of my best friends from high school 
back, I don't know, shortly after the season was over when Tyrell Terry um, entered the NBA draft and looked like he's got a chance to be a, a, a first-round pick. I had Stanford in the top 25-1 with Tyrell Terry. I, I removed them ever so slightly after he left the program to pursue a professional opportunity. So I get a text message from like really one of my best friends from high school. Like we live near each other. I picked him up for school every day. We rode together. He was Mr. Horn Lake High School, class of 1995 when I graduated. He said, GP, so when you talk to NBA people, what do you hear about my nephew? I'm like, your nephew? Who's your nephew? And then I start putting it together. My friend's name's Ken Terry. His nephew is Tyrell Terry. How about that? I got another one for you. Okay. That is, that's how, how about this? I go to my, I, I go visit my, my parents over the, over the summer. Um, and, uh, they've got a small lake near where they're at, uh, in Connecticut. And I'm just sitting there with my mom. And then one of this woman that lives in their neighborhood, uh, who she doesn't see that often, but she happened to come down and was just hanging out. And, um, and then she goes, oh, yeah, Matt, you, uh, you cover college basketball, don't you? And I was like, yes, I do. And she goes, oh, I was talking with, let's just call the woman Cindy. I don't know her name. And she's like, oh, I was talking with Cindy. And she was just going on and on about things are going so well for her son. And I was like, uh, is this Cindy one of your friends? She's like, oh, she's one of my oldest friends. And, yeah, she just, uh, but we, you know, we haven't seen each other in a long time because she lives in New Hampshire. But she was just going on and on. Maybe you've written about him. Uh, he's playing well these days. And I'm thinking, like, it's some college player. She's like, yeah, his name is Duncan. Duncan. Oh, <laughs> This woman's like one of her best friends is Duncan Robinson's mother. That's just like <laughs> oh, you don't rea- oh you don't realize that the person you're talking about right now is is like maybe the story of the summer in the NBA right now. It's just insane. She's like oh yeah, he's just sweet little boy doing great because you know Duncan you know everyone knows his path there. But anyway, just like so, absurd, like just like what? Yeah. What no, so about? we uh, we you know somebody connected to Duncan Robinson's mom. Um, I am friends with Tyrell Terry's uncle dating back to high school. Does this we make them have- half brothers? Just out of curiosity. Hmm. Mm, maybe. And we both know Dylan Windler's uncle. That's right. <laughs> and oh, and uh, and uh, shouts to Casey Alexander's daughter, who is a avid listener. We're not going to get a Belmont or uh, or OVC preview in on this, but since we're just dropping random stuff like that, I, I told Casey like two weeks ago we'd give a shout. So there you go. Just just randomly, just as so since we're telling random stories on this past weekend on Saturday morning. Um, the guys I normally play golf with weren't able to play. They were tied up with kids soccer or just, you know, whatever. And so I was just going to, you know, get an 18 by myself because my mom was watching my little guys. And at, at my, um, at my club, you know, we have an online um, T sheet and like people can jump on with you if, you know, there's open spots. And so a couple of guys jump on with me. I don't, I don't know them. I've never met them. And uh, one of the guys was from out of town. He was just there with his buddy who's a member. So we're playing. And, uh, you know, when you play golf with strangers, you, you know, you end up. So, you know, you got any kids, you know, like kind of, you know, just these very surface level conversations. So somebody says, uh, one of the guys says, so, so what do you do? And I said, well, I, uh, I work for CBS sports. And I swear to God, the first thing the guy said was, you know what? I, I listened to what's it called? I own college basketball no. podcast. Do, do you have anything? I swear to God, that's what he no. asked. Me. Do, do you have anything to do with that? <laughs> I said, yeah, I got something to do with that. Get out of here. Yeah. You didn't even tell me this. I like, it. I like I, learning it on the podcast. That's insane. True, yeah, true story. True story. Well, first of all, that's, that's not a good sign because he, he, I mean, maybe this was like the second question he had asked you because he should have known the voice. 
He, yeah, no, we were talking. He never, he never said, hold up, hold up, stop for a second. Say Devin Downey. Yeah. He didn't start, he didn't, he didn't go there, but he was, um, I told him, I told him, I, I said, I, I, I work for CBS Sports and he said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I cover college basketball. And he said, oh, I listen to what's it called? Do you have anything to do with that? And I said, uh, I said, well, it's mostly Cal Boom, but I, I yeah, do have yeah. a little bit to do with he, it you sometimes. Should've, he should have asked you, say, is here with me. <laughs> so we uh so we're best friends. I figure we're gonna be playing golf a lot. Well, shout out to this forward. dude. I presume he's listening to this podcast. So there we go. Where were we, by the way? Oh yeah, that's right. Pac twelve. I love our rants. Um, hey, real quick, Colorado, Arizona. Who do you like more? I, I can already tell my, you. You got Arizona. I yeah. I thought I liked Arizona more, but I wanted to bring up Arizona because I noticed, like most of us have Arizona middle of the pack. You have Arizona eight That's right. in the Pac-12. You've just given up on Sean Miller completely, haven't you? I have. I got Arizona low. I'm, I'll, I'll spoil one ranking here. Um, I put Arizona 70th in my 1-357. to 357. It's the youngest team he's ever had by far. James Akinjo is going to start at point, and I, I like him. Like He was a, a very fun player to watch at Georgetown. What's he going to have around him? They've got Jordan Brown, a transfer from Nevada, who I think has a lot of good potential. Miller brought in, I think, six players with international backgrounds. The best is a Lithuanian big, uh, Azulas Tubalis. I'm going to butcher that name. I don't know the correct pronunciation, but I think he's the best one. They're just so young and inexperienced. Yeah, I'm selling. I got him. I got him eighth, and I have them as the as the. The bottom tier of the league, because we're not going to spend time on the on the bottom teams. So I've got Arizona, then Washington, Wazoo, Cal, Oregon State. I don't think any of those teams are going to compete to make the NCAA tournament, while the teams above them I think will squarely be in the mix, like Utah, Colorado. I'm just not seeing it with the Wildcats this year. But I'm I'm on an island pretty much because you, Kyle Boone, Kyle Porter, yep. Jerry Palm, all had Arizona top five. I don't see it. Miller's done a great job. I could easily be proven to be wrong. But um, I think this is a huge step back here. And I also think it's, that's indicated by, like, Arizona. It's scheduled nothing but, like, mids and lows and non-conference. It's not playing one tough team that it can uh, – because I think Miller knows he just doesn't have a good squad. And, uh, and you want to get wins to get momentum and morale up so that when you get into the rigors of the league, maybe you can uh, use that as an on-ramp. But, yeah, I'm not in on the Wildcats this year. You know, Sean has only finished fifth or lower in the Pac-12 twice in 11 seasons. So that's awesome. That is. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. It was two seasons ago and last season. It's the uh-huh. past two seasons that he's done it. You know, he was top four in the Pac-12 in each of his first nine seasons. Won at least to share the league title in five of his first nine seasons, and then obviously scandal hits. Book Richardson is gone. Mark Phelps is gone. Who knows where Larnell is these days? I, I've, everything has gotten tougher for him. Um, and like he's also like carrying around a, a stigma that's attached to him, fairly or unfairly, it's there. And so you talk about a situation that has really been flipped upside down. You know, at, at least at Kansas, Kansas is going through, some, through something very similar, but Kansas is still awesome, without exception. You know, Arizona, for one reason or another, has really slipped in in recent seasons and this doesn't look like it's going to be the get right season uh we're it's the truth is probably going to be somewhere in the middle they won't be as good as five might not be as low as eight as i've got them um but i also like to take the occasional chance here um colorado i've got them six you got them seven i've got utah seven you've got utah nine can you explain uh, we'll get to colorado in a second how are you that low on utah why do you like them because ryland okay 
Timmy Allen, really, really solid. Rylan Jones, again, sometimes this is a function of having to track all the freshmen. Rylan Jones was probably the most efficient freshman no one realized was, was really, really good last season. And so they have a lot that, listen, Booth Gosh is gone. That's what I was going to say. I knew you were going to bring this up. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring this up. It's not nothing. But I still think that the talent on the whole with Utah I mean, he's got seven guys who got legitimate minutes last year returning in, in, in addition to four. I think four starters are back. I think Gosh is the only one that's not returning. Timmy Allen and Rylan Jones are awesome. So I'm just, I just feel like they are squarely in the mix there. But again, I'm not going to fault you for, like, I'm going to be that low on the Arizona. I'm not going to critique you for that. But I did look at it and they were 114 in Ken Palm, 16 and 15 last season. I feel like they're going to make a big jump, but you don't, and that's totally fair. But I just wanted to point out that was the one clear seller on you. Uh, like you think Washington's better? I'm not. I'm not seeing that. Here, here, here's what I would say. If I'm being completely honest, uh, I, I feel pretty strongly about one through six in some order. Those teams being Oregon, UCLA, Arizona State, Stanford, Arizona, and Southern Cal, and then seven, eight, nine. I could also put them reasonably in any order. Those teams being Colorado, Washington, Utah. I happen to have them in the order that I have them. You. You know, others could have them in it. I think they're all the same caliber team. So I guess if I were trying to break the Pac-12 into tiers, I, I, I'd probably go tier one is Oregon, UCLA, Arizona State. Tier two is Stanford. Tier three, Arizona, USC. And then tier four, Colorado, Washington, Utah. Tier five, Cal, Oregon State, Washington State. Does that make sense? It does. Let me get a quick uh, word in on the buffs uh, because I do think that McKinley Wright, the fourth, first of all, he's probably the only the fourth in college basketball. Hey, listen, our listeners know their stuff. And if you know of another player who is currently playing, that is the fourth. I want to know about him. We can give him shouts on the pod. Um, Evan Batty's back. Tad Boyle is scarily consistent. They won 21 games last season. They will be better. I do think this is a tournament team this season. Um, I yeah, I'm I'm in on on them, and McKinley Wright is your dark horse Pac-12 Player of the Year. He, uh, I think he's just he's going to be due for a huge huge season. So the Pac-12, I mean, the point is this: like, if we had to do a Pac-12 preview two three years ago, we would have struggled to make it make it compelling for thirty minutes. But this year, like, you really do have a lot of really good teams, talented teams. The bottom of the league is just the bottom of the league. You can't you can't avoid that. But at least it's not in a situation where it's like, can we even get to four that make the tournament? Like, that's not going to be a problem at all this season. In fairness, we only got to this minute mark because you told a Duncan Robinson story and I talked about one of my best friends from high school and the guy who, kn- who knows us from the, from the power <laughs> knows us now. And, and my new golfing partner. So, uh, but we got there. That's the point. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle legend. Shouts to Ken Terry, my high school classmate. Tyrell Terry's uncle. <laughs> Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys for listening once again to the Ion College Basketball Podcast in the dumbest pandemic I ever seen. Dumbest pandemic I ever been a part of. If you're not subscribed yet, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. Please go do that. We'll talk to you again really soon. And by really soon, I mean tomorrow on Wednesday when we will be previewing the SEC. Till then, take care.